1: Hello you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 61st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the
0: theater of the mind.
1: I am your host Diane. And this is Denise. And Denise, today we're doing a haunted event. Yes, we are. The Salem Witch Trials. A haunted and
0: horrific event.
1: Absolutely. Not only are we going to look at the details about the specifically with the Salem Witch Trials, but we're also going to get into talking a little bit about what happened, what caused this hysteria to go on. And then of course, since we go bump, we're going to get into the hauntings that are associated with the Salem Witch Trials. And there's a lot of curses thrown in there as well.
0: Well, absolutely. Because anytime you have that kind of hysteria and horrific things happening. it does tend to leave a along some paranormal stuff.
1: Do you want to point people at our website historygoesbump.com. It's where you can go to find anything you want to find out about the show where you can find us on social media. Our last 10 episodes are up on the home page. You can find our archives there. You can sign up for the newsletter. you can shop at the emporium or you can donate to the show. Denise, if anybody wants to get a hold of us to send us some feedback, where can they
0: do that? They can get a hold of us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And
1: Denise, sometimes people give us feedback over at the Spectacular Crew or on the History Goes Bump fan page, and we did get some feedback on our last podcast, which featured Danvers State Hospital. Now, for people who were following our whole Periscope odyssey as I was trying to make the thing work. (laughs)
0: Odyssey that's more like an oddity and a failure (laughs) all in the same time.
1: I gave it one last try while I was at the actual taekwondo championships and I was trying to show people some of the fighting going on. Well the thing with the periscope is nobody was getting any video but they could hear me perfectly and you can chat back and forth when you're doing the periscope thing people can send you messages. So Mary Gray Wickham was on there with me along with Tom. And so I started talking about... She was like, well, where are you located? Because she's from the area. And so I was telling her that we were in Waltham. And then I said... And we went through a city... Well, it looks like... I said, if I did it hooked on phonics, it would be like War Kester. But I said, it's probably Worcester. And I can't even remember how she told me to pronounce it. But it wasn't even Worcester. It was something else. And then I was telling her the college that we were at... Do you remember what the name of the place was? Now I can't remember off the top of my head, but of course I said that wrong. So I thought it was pretty funny since I was getting all this grief from Mary about my Bostonian. I got some more grief about my Bostonian from Sue Hargraves. (laughs) 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 So thank you, Sue, for correcting us. You know, when you see P-E-A-B-O-D-Y, how would you say that, Denise?
0: Peabody, of course.
1: Exactly. But do you know how you're supposed to say it Bostonian style? I do not.
0: P-Biddy. P-Biddy. That almost sounds like it should be like a jive band or something from back in the day.
1: (laughs) Well, it reminds me of P-Diddy. Exactly.
0: (laughs) That's what I was thinking.
1: Yeah, so I was like, okay, P-Biddy, which we're going to have to remember because I think we're going to be using it in today's podcast as well. And then there was the tribe we were talking about and the trail that was between Salem and Boston that became uh, Ipswich Road, I believe. That's Nam Keeg. And I... I think I said Namkeeg or something, but it's Namkeeg.
0: Okay. But we do have to keep in mind that Bostonians also don't pronounce R's and they add R's at the end of sentences that have A's in them. <laughs> Just saying.
1: And then Sue took a little bit of offense at the fact that I had said that Boston stinks. And then she said, the the old sewer system does show itself sometimes. So she said I was forgiven.
0: Well, and I got unfriended by a friend, not on Facebook, like in person. She said, that's it. I'm unfriending you because I said that I wasn't impressed with Fenway Franks. Sorry, just wasn't. No.
1: And then, of course, we asked Denise about the situation that Danvers State Hospital finds itself in now because we weren't for sure, was it demolished, was it apartments, what all is there? And we, we thought that the tunnels were still there and that the facade with the tower was still there. So we were correct on that part. And I want to thank Sue again for mm-hmm. giving us that information. She actually has a picture of the pool from there. And you can see in the background, the outside of it looks very similar to what the actual hospital did look like at one time. So they're cool-looking apartments because it was a cool building. And then Patrick Keller over at the Big Sands podcast also had talked to somebody, I think he said, like three years ago, who was going to be moving into the apartments there. And he said, unfortunately, I lost contact with him, so I don't know if he had any activity going on, but he said there's definitely apartments there because this guy was going to move in there. So thank you, Patrick. So we know for sure there's apartments there. People are living there. If there's any activity going on, We don't know.
0: Well, you just said that you thought that they looked really cool, and I think that there's probably some spots that are absolutely cold.
1: (laughs) And then I found this neat little, I don't know if you call it an app or it's a website that I went to, and it's called My Podcast Reviews. And for those of you, I know we have a lot of podcasters who listen to the show. It's a little frustrating when you have listeners from other countries that are international because... The way iTunes works is that whatever country you're from, those are the reviews you see. They don't just show you all the reviews that you get. So you don't know if you're getting reviews from other people, from other countries, because you'll only see the ones for us, like America. The only way before I found this little thing is that you'd have to go down to the very bottom of the iTunes page there, and there's like a little flag in the bottom right corner. You click on that, all these other flags pop up, and then you can go through and country by country which would take you forever and see if you have any comments. Now, I normally would check on Canada, Australia, uh, Britain, because we know for sure that we have listeners there. But I found this thing called My Podcast Review. And if you go sign up there, you can do the free one because pretty much I do everything for free at this point. There's not as many perks with it, but they will give you the basics. So once a month, they'll send you all the reviews that you've gotten, like the last 30 reviews or something like that. Which doesn't matter to me because most of the reviews I can see. But I thought, you know, I'm going to try this just to see. And lo and behold, Denise, we have a review from Australia.
0: Oh, yeah, a review from Down Under. So
1: for those of you that listen internationally and maybe you haven't left a review because you're like, they're not going to see it anyway, so why bother? We are going to see it. And even if we couldn't see it, it still makes a difference to iTunes. And look, if we got a whole bunch of people from Australia to give us a bunch of reviews, we could end up being like the top podcast in Australia.
0: Yeah, and then it might actually make us have to move that up on our wish list of places to go.
1: Heck yeah. <laughs> so this came from Sunflower Rising. Fascinating topics and great content five-star review. Thank you so much, Sunflower Rising. Yes, thank you. Denise, are you ready to go back in time to a very different Salem than where we were last week? I am. All right. Like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at
0: historygoesbump.com. Welcome to this moment in Ivy History.
1: The Palm Sunday case is an unusual study in life after death. Mary Catherine Littleton was a beautiful young lady who caught the eye of Arthur James Balfour. It took some time, but the smitten Balfour eventually convinced Mary to marry him. Unfortunately, Mary caught typhus and died a few weeks after their engagement on Palm Sunday in 1875. Balfour was devastated and never married. In the early 1900s, several medians began receiving messages through automatic writing that pertained to Mary Littleton and a brother of Arthur Balfour who had died in the Alps. These messages became long scripts. The mediums did not know these people, nor the story about Balfour and Littleton. They managed to find Balfour, and one of the mediums revealed to him that Mary was trying to contact him to let him know that she still loved him in the afterlife. Balfour did not believe the medium at first, but after many sessions, which revealed things the woman could not have known, he became convinced and died having experienced great peace and comfort. The details of the Palm Sunday case were not revealed until 1960 and they are compelling because of the symbolism used by those trying to communicate from beyond the veil and because it would seem that several entities were working together to get the attention of the living. The idea that the communication came through automatic writing made it even stranger and the case certainly was odd. Welcome. We have been expecting you. (laughs) This Day in History
0: On this day, August 10th, the first prize-fighting rules were formulated in 1743. Jack Broughton became known as the father of English boxing, and he set some rules to paper that became known as the Broughton Rules. The sport of boxing had been around for over 5,000 years, but this was the first time official rules were laid out. Rounds would last as long as it took for one fighter to be knocked down or out of the ring, and the fight would end when one of the men was unable to rise after 30 seconds. Knockouts were not the only thing that could end a fight. Capitulation or police intervention could end fights according to the rules. Broughton's rules lasted until 1839, when the London Prize Ring rules changed the ring so that it was a 24-foot square boxing ring with ropes surrounding it. Previously, spectators had formed the ring around the boxers. Many things were forbidden with this boxing. There was no kicking, gouging, biting, headbutting, and punches below the belt. Many of the rules still stand today, and boxing is more popular than ever.
1: to History Goes Bump. Some of the most infamous trials in American history revolve around a small town in Massachusetts named Salem. Salem and witches have become intertwined through the years, and a study in human psychology surrounding the events of the Salem witch trials reveals a very heinous side to humanity. The use of the terminology witch hunt was inspired by the Salem witch trials. Today, we explore not only the historic events themselves, but what led several communities to turn on their neighbors, leading to deadly results. We also will look at the tales of curses and hauntings that spawned from the Salem Witch Trials.
0: While the Salem witch trials are the most famous when it comes to hunting down witches, they were not the first. Thirty years before the trials in Salem, Hartford, Connecticut had its own witch hunt mass hysteria. Eight year old Elizabeth Kelly had died mysteriously after spending time with a neighbor named Goodwife Ayers. Before Elizabeth passed, she told her father that Goodwife was upon her and choking her, leading some to believe the little girl had been possessed by Goodwife. Such possession was termed bewitchment at the time. Hartford had had some experience with witch hunting, being that it was the first town in America to have hung someone for practicing witchcraft in 1647. Four other people were hung shortly thereafter. But it wasn't until little Elizabeth's death in 1662 that hysteria would manifest for the first time. When all was said and done, there had been seven trials and four people were executed. In 1692, another witch hysteria broke out with no executions. But later, in 1697, another hysteria led to 11 executions. So witch hunt hysteria and Puritans seem to go hand in hand. Denise, it really is amazing. And,
1: you know, we look at the witch hunts and we seem to separate them out as like, Oh, those were people of that time and they were crazed. But as we've come to find, like we said, the term witch hunt came from this, but it's been used many, many, many times through all the years. There's a variety of things out there. You just find a group that you want to use as a scapegoat and you'll find a witch hunt.
0: Exactly. And, and it goes on today and shifts from one group to another to another. Exactly. And
1: as we're showing here, this wasn't just something that cropped up in Salem out of nowhere. This was something that was going on in the New England area for decades. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind when we're looking at this stuff as well is people didn't understand mental illness. They didn't understand different diseases that were out there. So when people would maybe have convulsions epilepsy they didn't know what that was and i imagine back in that day and you're talking a lot about the devil it would be easy to believe that somebody who's having an epileptic seizure is demon possessed it would be very easy to believe something like that
0: it would be extremely easy cuz just like 15 20 years ago back when i was like in high school and just out of college you know just out in my early 20s there was there was all this talk going around then that Music was the devil. If people were doing this, they were of the devil. If they were breaking boards in martial arts, they were doing demonic stuff. And so, I mean, you know, if they had any kind of addiction, they were possessed by by demons. So,
1: What did they call that when it was going on in the 80s? Because I remember that clearly. It was like the... um Well, backmasking was one of the things yeah, that music. Yeah, they, they called it something like the satanic craze or something. It was like during the 80s, that was the big thing mm-hmm. is like, demon possession and like you said, the back masking groups that use that is, you know, it wasn't that they actually worship the devil, but they found out that it was profitable to pretend like they did or to put that
0: image out there. Well, and a lot of it is the mass hysteria that we get from fundamental religiosity is my personal opinion, because they can scare people. And they can scare you against the group. They can control you.
1: Well, and that's when all that satanic ritual abuse stuff started coming out and got to the point where people didn't believe any of it. I'm sure there was maybe a couple things that had happened, but when you have all these people coming forward with all these just bizarre stories that couldn't even possibly be true, it made everybody look at the rest of them and go, yeah, right.
0: Well, even during that time, the people who who believed in the, the Wiccas at that time were thrown in with the Satanists, which are two entire, they were two different, different religions. groups and different mm-hmm. religions, but they just got lumped again. The witch hunt threw them right in with all the stuff that they perceived or made up that was going on. So again, we had Salem all over again.
1: Well, and the strange thing about the Salem witch trials is that they quite clearly didn't understand what witches were. Because their main thing was they're signing a contract with the devil, or they've sold their souls to the devil. They're worshiping the devil. And if you ask any Wiccas today, I believe that they don't believe in Satan, and they most certainly don't worship him. They're more along the lines of a pagan, feminine, worship the earth kind of thing, is my understanding.
0: And the one thing that was interesting for me to find out is, my own ignorance, I did not realize that it wasn't witches and warlocks that mm-hmm. male and female are witches that warlocks were, I think it means betrayer. Betrayal. So or they, betrayer. Yeah, so they that's like that not, word. and I just, you know, that was my ignorance. Mm-hmm. I just always thought it was a witch and a warlock and that is not, yeah, I think case. that's a media manifestation, probably. Oh, the media did something to, to, <laughs>
1: to make untruths? You're, you're kidding me. I know. To understand the thinking of the Puritans, which is a hard thing to do, we need to trace back their superstitions to the 14th century. The belief that the devil would give humans power to harm other humans began in Europe. These beliefs traveled with the Puritans to the New World. Women were also considered weaker and easily tempted into sin. Puritans pointed to Eve for proof, and they were fearful of strong-willed women. Uh Uh-oh. And as we come to find, as you look at these women who were accused, we don't know about, you know, there was almost 200 people that were accused here in Salem alone. So we don't know all of them individually, but the women who were hung, there was a lot of them that ran their own businesses, didn't have husbands, didn't go to church. So, you know, they were these... I think nowadays they call them Jezebels, <laughs> so that's who these women would be so you you look at it it just is it's just funny when you look, especially when you get into the religiosity and we don't want to step on anybody's toes because we know some of our listeners are very uh into their religion and stuff, but i just that's I've always had real issues when it comes to religiosity, whether it's it doesn't matter what your religion is I right. just I have real issues with that, and it just, when you look at how these Puritans were acting and how they were treating these women in this way, because if you think about it, when you think back to Nathaniel Hawthorne writing the Scarlet Letter, he wrote it about this time period, so he wasn't specifically getting into the Salem Witch Trials. Who was the one in that adulterous relationship that was put out there? It wasn't the guy, it was her who had to wear the Scarlet Letter. And was put down. And so that's where these people are coming from. And then you have to keep in mind that this is the world that these women live in, too. So when you get a chance to break free from that stifled life, might be why things got a little bit crazy.
0: Well, it's kind of ironic what you had just talked about, that the belief that the devil would give humans power to harm other humans began in Europe and traveled with the Puritans It's kind of funny that the belief that the devil would give power to humans to hurt other humans was manifested in the Puritans, as we were going to talk about. (laughs) I mean,
1: oh, the irony. Indeed.
0: Great point. Yeah, because that's exactly what's going to happen here. You know, it's funny
1: when you look at when people say, well, God did that and the devil did that. I always sit there and think, you know, they're both sitting back going, these humans are so fun to watch. They keep blaming all this stuff on us. We're not doing anything. They're doing it to themselves. You know, you don't need to have the devil to have evil in the world. Exactly.
0: Y'all didn't know you were going to church, did you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amen, sister. (laughs) Preach it. The Puritans had a desire to purify the church as well, and they adopted rigid standards that were outlawed in much of Europe. And remember, these are people who were escaping the Church of England, which was basically, um, they kind of looked at it on the same level as Catholicism. So they were running away from all of that kind of stuff. And that's why they were called Puritans, because they wanted to purify. This is why many moved to New England. Upon getting here, they discovered an unforgiving land where they had to live among people they considered to be savages. Imagine being religious to an extreme, and you come to a place where dark-skinned people wear little clothing and have what you consider strange practices. And some of these people try to kill you as well. There was culture shock and fear. Sickness also would sweep through towns in the form of plagues and yellow fever. Puritans did not understand medicine and disease, and their superstitions led them to attribute all such things to an all-powerful devil. Puritans easily fell into moral panic, in which fear of social order breaking down leads to extreme reactions. So this is the environment that we're entering when we come into Salem.
0: So as Diane just said, this is going to be the environment of 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts, when the young daughter and niece of Salem's village's minister, Samuel Paris begins having seizures and bizarre fits. The townspeople become worried. A local doctor was called in to diagnose the girls. His conclusion was that the girls had been bewitched. From our modern perspective, it is easy to laugh over such a diagnosis. Surely these girls were experiencing something else. There were many causes for seizures, and even some have suggested ergo poisoning from eating bad rye bread. Ergo is an ingredient in LSD that helps initiate hallucinations. Even more odd was that five other young girls began exhibiting the same behavior. The girls were gathered together and questioned about who they had been spending their time with. Samuel Parris' Caribbean servant, Tituba, soon found herself in the center of the storm.
1: Yeah, so when you have a group of girls that are all exhibiting the same behavior, it's pretty hard to say they all have epilepsy or something. Also, I have heard that the idea that there was ergo poisoning has been debunked, but you can't debunk it because you weren't there. (laughs) You can't test these people. You don't know what's going on. So I've heard that people said that that was debunked. I don't know that you can debunk it, but... One thing that you can look at is that this wasn't just a one time event. It didn't just happen over a few days. This is going to go on for several months. And now we're going to start looking at is this, remember we did that moment in Oddity that was the, what was it, it was that dancing? That
0: dancing madness, madness or, something, or something I do remember that where
1: people would just almost dance themselves to death and they it would be a whole town would just break into doing this so there are these forms of mass hysteria it's hard for us to understand if we're if we've never been swept up into something like that i imagine if aliens decided to come down and attack us here here's a good example i actually heard somebody talking about the airing of war of the worlds for the first time I know what it was. One of my clients had ancient aliens on in the background. So they were talking about how people freaked out because they thought that was real mm-hmm. and they were ripe for the picking at that time. So you had mass hysteria there. So there are things that cause this to happen. So I get torn about was this mass hysteria with these girls and was it that at first that became something else? But as we go further into the story and start looking at the psychology and looking at what was going on behind this... These girls, the nicest thing I can say is they were very
0: naughty. That is very nice.
1: Tichaba was an Arawak Indian from South America. As a young girl, she'd been kidnapped and taken to Barbados, where she was sold into slavery. Despite her portrayal as a black woman in most tellings of the narratives around the Salem Witch Trials, the documents from the trials do support an Indian history. And this is something that they've continued to debate to this day. They don't know for sure, but the actual documentation says that she was of Indian heritage. Now, coming from the French West Indies, it is possible that her skin would have maybe been a darker coloring, but she was supposedly from South America and taken to Barbados. So like when we went to the Salem Witch Museum, they showed Tituba. She looked black to me. exactly. So, and I've seen other depictions of her. So I'd always believe that she was a black slave woman or something. But that is not true. So that's just a little something to, you know, give people an honest history there. It was sometime in Tichuba's teens that she came to be a servant for Samuel Paris. No one is sure if he purchased Tichuba or if she was given to him to settle a debt. There is speculation that Paris, who was unmarried at the time, may have used Tichuba for more than just household chores. Tichaba liked to tell stories, and she would regale the young girls with strange tales. Remember, she came from the Caribbean, so there was probably some voodoo
0: involved in these tales and other things. Well, and just the the lore, you Mm -hmm. know, the Native American lore, which I love listening to today.
1: Absolutely. Perhaps she even taught some of them how to make herbal tinctures which to us are perfectly normal nowadays. We, you know, we want to be careful because there's some herbs you don't want to mess with, but back then, if you're making these tinctures, are you making a potion? Exactly. It was something that Tichuba did shortly after Paris's daughter went into fits that thrust her into the spotlight.
0: Tichuba used an old practice to see if she could figure out who would bewitch Samuel Paris's daughter. She mixed the young girl's urine with rye and baked a cake called a witch cake. She then fed the cake to a dog. The dog was then supposed to reveal who the person was that afflicted the daughter. When the Reverend heard about this, he was enraged. Details are murky here. All the young girls claimed that Tichuba had bewitched them, but one has to wonder why. Were the girls led to make this accusation by some adults? Did they do this based on the stories that Tichuba had told them? Were the girls out to get Tichuba? Reverend Paris would later beat Tichuba until she confessed she was a witch which is why we wonder if the girls were not guided in their accusations. Tituba was fearful about what would happen to her and probably believed that if she accused other women, she would somehow take the focus off herself. A homeless woman named Sarah Good and an elderly woman, non-churchgoer named Sarah Osborne, were accused of practicing witchcraft by Tituba. Tituba claimed that there was a thriving coven in Salem and the Salem witch hunt began. An interesting point here, Diane, is that Sometimes with the adults getting involved, this is why they will not let children be interviewed a lot when there's an abuse case or something like that because young people can easily start to be swayed by somebody who is putting that into them to saying things that aren't true. And I've seen many, many accounts in today's day and age where kids do that. So it could be a lot of the pressure on these girls from the adults too to do that and then the psychological pressure on Tichuba to finally confess.
1: It really... I wish that there was this thing called a time machine that actually existed that we could go back. Because I I really want to know, what was the catalyst that started this? Mm. Were these girls actually afflicted with something? And because a doctor put that in their mind that they'd been bewitched, this is what they came up with? Because these are girls who enjoyed spending time with Tichaba. So did Tichaba do something that made one of them angry and she got her little gang together? What caused this to happen? Now, these girls are bored. They're kept indoors. They're doing chores all the time. And it wasn't just little girls. Anne Putnam was involved in this, too. And her mother, whose name was Ann Putnam as well, was another one of these repressed women who's going to get into the accusation business here. So, it, but it just, you know, when you're a person who doesn't believe in lying and you believe in honesty and you see the kind of devastation that you can wreak with this kind of stuff. What caused them to do this? Now, Tituba is going to start accusing people and other people are going to start doing that, but it's because they can escape the gallows by pointing fingers at other people.
0: But then again, you have the whole religious religiosity going on and you look at any cult and you're going to have the same dynamics. Like what causes Jonestown? Mm-hmm. What causes the Davidians, you know, the D- Davidians to do what they did? It's like what causes all of these things, you know, where they all of a sudden end up in this tight knit where things that are absolutely not okay. Charles Manson. Helter Skelter and all of that was the same thing. He got this group of people together that thought it was okay, you know, death to pigs. And they weren't all whack jobs when he met them. They were they were the lost that he brought into a belief system with him. So I can actually see this happening very easily mm-hmm. in that strong Puritan um, way of living.
1: As an aside there, you mentioned Jonestown. One of my favorite podcasts that's true crime to listen to is Sword and Scale. And I believe it was the last podcast. He's on hiatus for a little bit, but the, one of the last podcasts that he did He played tapes of Jones talking and he played the tape like right before they're about to drink the Kool-Aid. And these are people that are giving this Kool-Aid that they know because they've done dress rehearsals. They know there's poison in it and they're giving it to their children. You can hear the children in the background that are crying, screaming. They don't want it. They know what it is or they've taken it. And of course, as we all know, cyanide poisoning has got to be one of the worst things the human body can endure and uh, it d- it does it just blows your mind what can drive people to do that i just i've never been able to understand that i guess it's cuz i've never been a group thinker <laughs> so it's yeah. part of my problem by this time seven young girls were afflicted with contortions fevers and many complained that it felt like something unseen was biting or pinching them there was a lot of accusations of pinching <laughs> which i i found kind of funny because we don't talk a lot about pinching nowadays. I could see like you're getting your hair pulled or punched or something, but pinched? But that was one of their big things. Two of the girls, Ann Putnam and Mercy Lewis, claimed that they saw witches flying around in the early morning mist. These stories are really getting crazy now. It was easy for the superstitious people of Salem to believe the girls. And with Tituba and both Sarahs being outcasts, it was easy to believe that something was evil about them. You know, we don't like people who are different. The trials began for the three accused women and the afflicted girls continued their dramatics in the courtroom. The women were considered guilty and in need of proving their innocence. Tichiba, probably out of fear for her life, confessed to all sorts of bizarre things, including meeting Satan as both a man and a dog, and claiming that she and other women rode in the air on poles. Her claims that witchcraft was indeed being practiced fueled the flames. She accused more women of joining her in ceremonies.
0: Soon the zealotry passed to the townspeople. They too began accusing neighbors of witchcraft. Long-held bitterness came forward, and before long, many innocent people found themselves in jail for witchcraft. Martha Corey, Sarah Cloyce, Mary Eastie, and Rebecca Nurse were added to the list. And then there was poor Dorcas Good. She was the four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good. She soon was accused of practicing witchcraft, and unbelievably, she was thrown in jail for eight months. It was long enough for her to watch her mother be carried off to the gallows. The handful of girls that appeared to be afflicted by the spells of witches continued their dramatics. They twitched during trials and on the streets. They would shout out during church services and complain that the spirits of the witches were attacking them. Anne Putnam's mother even joined in revealing that repressed women can easily fall into hysteria if it means freedom from the constriction of their lives.
1: Unique tests were devised for revealing witches. One such test was used in Boston at the Frog Pond in Boston Commons. And while we did our ghost tour there, we were standing near the Frog Pond and he was telling us about this because I don't know if you knew, Denise, but I didn't, that they'd had witch trials in Boston and had hung people right there in the Boston Commons for witchcraft.
0: Yeah, and their trials actually went on longer than Salem. It carried out over a longer period of time, according to our guide. And they also um, there was probably more people killed but not for witchcraft and you'll explain that in a moment i'm sure
1: indeed they had four people that they hung for witchcraft in boston but more people died because <laughs> if a person floated on top of the water or it could survive dunking that held them underwater for several minutes then that person was deemed a witch never mind that if someone drowned it proved that they were not a witch but they were dead so what would it matter If he did manage to survive, you would be sent to the gallows. So either way was basically a death sentence.
0: Exactly. And that's what he had shared, that more people died in the frog pond innocent of witchcraft than were hung by the gallows. And so that's why he thinks Salem got more popularity with the witch trials than Boston did.
1: Exactly. Was his view of that. Confessing to being a witch could possibly save your life. And many did confess and then pointed fingers at others in order to avoid the gallows. People were checked for witch marks, which were simply birthmarks or moles. So I would definitely be in trouble because I got a big birthmark on my back, Denise. I'm sure that's a witch mark.
0: Bridget Bishop was the first to stand trial. On our ghost tour in Salem, we crossed through a parking lot that was used to be her apple orchard. She created hard apple cider to serve in her tavern, and many believed that her work as a barkeep is what put her under scrutiny. It gave the Puritans a reason to take this woman out. The girls and several neighbors claimed that Bridget Specter tortured them and that they had seen her turn into a cat. Eight days after she was ruled guilty, Bridget was hung on Gallows Hill. People claimed to smell the scent of apples and apple cider in this parking lot.
1: Yes. Yeah, so while we mentioned Tichaba and the two Sarahs, Bridget Bishop was actually the first one who came up for trial. So Tichaba and the Sarahs were the first to be arrested, but Bridget was the first one that was put on trial. And you could see why she would have been one of those women that was strong-willed. The parking lot, and we parked in that parking lot, is huge. So you can imagine that the apple orchard that she had was very big, and she wasn't making apple pie. So the Puritans probably weren't happy with that, although I'm sure they partook of a lot of that hard apple cider.
0: Of course they did.
1: This was a great opportunity to go after this woman. So when we were talking about our Danvers State Hospital in the last podcast, we mentioned our Salem ghost tour and how people smelled the apple cider. Rebecca Nurse's trial was next. This was an elderly woman who was mostly bedridden, and yet the girls accused her of witchery. Here's the thing. When they would accuse somebody of witchery, you've heard us mention several times that they felt like they were being poked or pinched by something unseen, that somebody's specter was coming after them. Basically, they were saying that these witches could have these out-of-body experiences and that their spirits were doing things to them. So even though Rebecca Nurse is bedridden, her spirit can go all over the place, according to these girls. And it was this kind of testimony that finally got thrown out by the same people who got involved and said, we need to stop doing this. They're like, we can't go on the word of these girls saying they're seeing ghosts that none of us are seeing or these spirits of these people. What some did not know is that Rebecca's family and the Putnams and Ann Putnam was one of the accusers of Rebecca Nurse, had years of disputes between them. So it's not surprising that she was accused by the Putnams. Rebecca was initially found not guilty, but the main judge sent the jury judges back, and they changed their verdict to guilty after several of the girls threw themselves on the ground and convulsed when the not guilty verdict was read. So apparently they thought that somehow Rebecca Nurse was bewitching them with that not guilty, but that doesn't even make any common sense. Because if you've been found not guilty, you sure the heck are not going to do anything to anybody to cause them to convulse and go crazy.
0: Well, and the really sick thing about the whole thing with Rebecca Nurse is they threw her in jail. First of all, a bedridden woman, they threw in jail And then because they said that she was still bewitching them from jail, they covered her like they locked her up in chains and shackles so that she could barely move.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I mean, she
0: was locked down. She was like basically tortured and she was just an elderly woman who couldn't even get out of her bed. It just, it makes you sick. And
1: the worst part is many of you may recall hearing her name when we did our On This Day in History. We talked about five women. That were hung on Gallows Hill. Rebecca Nurse was one of them on that July 19th date. Mm-hmm. She was hung with four of the women on the gallows.
0: One man from Salem would accuse the townspeople of being silly. John Proctor and his wife were good people, and they certainly did not believe that they were surrounded by people who had sold their souls to the devil. Proctor owned a tavern and denounced the trials regularly. It is not surprising that soon he was accused, and then his pregnant wife was accused as well. They were both convicted, but Proctor's wife was not hung so that she could have her baby. She managed to escape execution because she held on until the witch hysteria died down. Proctor, however, was hung.
1: Unbelievably, Salem's ex-minister George Burroughs came under fire. He, too, was found guilty, and he refused to confess. He was defiant until the end. And you might remember this scene, Denise, from the Salem Witch Museum. After the noose was placed around his neck on Gallows Hill, he recited the Lord's Prayer perfectly. The townspeople were stunned because they believed witches were incapable of reciting the Lord's Prayer. Although they were moved, the execution continued at the urging of Judge Cotton Mathers.
0: We actually saw some of the descendants' uh, gravestones of the Mathers. Actually, it
1: was his brother. Yep. Nathaniel Mathers or something was buried in one of the cemeteries we were in. And Cotton Mathers is one of them that's, in the end, a lot of these judges are going to apologize and spend their lives trying to make restitution, but uh, old Cotton Mathers was not that way.
0: Well, the thing with that, it's like, even if you do apologize, you still have to pay the consequence for your actions, just like I know a lot of the war criminals from other wars and, like, the Nazi war Mm -hmm. criminals went on to become very, I guess, good people. But to me, you still have to pay for what you did to all those people. As we like to
1: say, I know you're a sorry son of a gun. You still have to pay the price.
0: The story of Giles Corey is horrible. The man was very successful and owned large parcels of land. He and his wife were accused of witchcraft, and we have no doubt that the goal was to obtain his land. If someone confessed to being a witch, they lost all their property. Giles had sons that he wanted to pass his property onto, and he refused to allow the town to take what was rightfully his. He refused to confess, so the judges hauled him out for a little torture tactic they had devised called pressing. You see, if you are a witch, apparently you cannot be crushed to death. Giles was committed to not losing his property, and so as the board was placed on his body and the first few stones were placed atop, he called for more weight. As the judges screamed for him to confess, he continued to yell for more weight, even as his chest was weighted down. He was nearly dead when his eyes flashed open and he hurled a curse at the judges before he took his last breath. His death proved he was innocent and his curse would live on.
1: Three days after Giles' death, his wife was hung along with seven other convicted people. These would be the last victims of the witch trials. In all, 20 innocent people lost their lives. Four people died in jail. Even two dogs were executed as witches. Nearly 200 people had been accused and jailed, and many would stay there because the law required that accused people had to foot their own care bills in jail. So if you couldn't pay your debt, you know, Denise, for the food, the straw they gave you for your bedding, you were stuck.
0: And from what I remember, food is kind of said tongue-in-cheek.
1: Well, I know that old jail that we visited in uh, Barnstable, you better hope your family brings you some food because whatever they're giving you is garbage. Yep. Many wallowed in jail for months until family members or others would take pity. Tituba became the servant of another man who paid off her jail bill.
0: In the end, most scholars agree that while mass hysteria could have played a role, it is more likely that people lied because of longstanding property and church disputes. The emotions and horrible deaths of the innocent have tainted Salem. Not only is Salem now synonymous with outrageous hysteria leading to the deaths of innocents, that Salem seems to be the victim of curses and hauntings. And the irony is that today, Salem is a Mecca for those who practice Wicca and for pagans.
1: Yeah, so you just kind of think about these Puritans who wanted to drive out all this witchery, and they probably didn't have a single witch in town. And now, this is the Mecca. I mean, a lot of them already live there, and every other store was get your palm red and whatever. And then, of course, when it's Halloween... Holy cow, shut that town down. Salem is very, very popular. They basically call it Halloween Town. And it's just crazy during that time. Can you imagine? Those Puritans are probably rolling over in their graves. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Giles Corey's curse was fairly simple. If you recall, Denise was telling us when he was getting pressed to death, the last thing he said was a curse. And it was, I curse you and Salem. Very simple, but did it curse Salem it said that Giles himself appears as an apparition before anything befalls the town there was a huge fire in Salem in 1914 Giles appeared before several townspeople before the fire started one has to wonder how that fire was started is he just showing up before these things to bring some forewarning Denise or is he causing this stuff to happen
0: I would like to think he's forewarning them because the current people of Salem, even then, weren't them, right?
1: But he cursed you and Salem. It wasn't just the guys who were pressing him. He was cursing the town. Oh, that's true.
0: He did curse the town.
1: So it does make you wonder. Yep. Sarah Good called out a curse on Reverend Nicholas Noyes, who was a part of the trials. She said to him, quote, I am no more a witch than you were a wizard. And if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. End quote. 25 years later, the good reverend had an aneurysm that poured blood down his throat to the point that he choked to death. Sounds like he had some blood to drink there. Ah,
0: yes, it did. The John Ward house was used as a place of interrogation during the trials. We visited this during our ghost tour, and it's a neat home that reminds us of a large cottage. The house sat across the street from the witch dungeon until it was moved in 1910. Today, the house is used as storage for the Peabody. That's the way you're supposed to say it, I believe. (laughs) Essex Museum, or for those who don't speak northern Peabody. (laughs) Full-bodied apparitions have been seen and photographed in the house. One night, an employee was in the building by herself when she heard the door open and heard footsteps. She called out and got no answer. She investigated and saw nothing. She returned to what she was doing and heard the footsteps again. They seemed to be climbing the stairs towards her. She was afraid that someone had broken in and that she was in danger. She ran terrified from the building and never returned.
1: I don't blame her. It was a really cool building. It was that brown one. Mm
0: -hmm. It was very neat. Uh,
1: Sheriff George Corwin was the law during the Salem witch trials. He was the one who arrested those nearly 200 accused people. He interrogated the accused and sometimes even participated in the torture they underwent, and many claim he enjoyed committing that torture. Corwin died shortly after the hysteria, and he was buried in the basement of his home to keep it safe from villagers who would want to tear the body apart. The home was later torn down, and the Joshua Ward house was built on the property. That house is claimed to be the most haunted location in Salem. This is the one where he was telling us to take pictures of the windows, particularly that one Right. Corner window on the second floor. People claim to feel as if some unseen thing is choking them when they're in the house. A woman in black has been seen here and men feel uncomfortable in the house. They are the ones usually attacked and many believe a female victim of the trials is seeking revenge against Corwin at his former home or the home that's on top
0: of where his former home was. Yeah, that makes sense. The Old Witch Jail is reportedly haunted. Prisoners were starved and given no water. Several people died in prison due to the bad conditions. A building used by the phone company now stands where the jail used to be. Employees are reluctant to use the landlines in the buildings because occasionally the screams of the tortured come through the lines. People claim to have been touched and pushed inside the building. It is believed that one of the spirits belongs to an angry former guard. His full-body apparition has been seen. Two beams were found when digging on the new building began. It is believed those beams were part of the dungeon. One is now on display at the Witch Dungeon Museum, and employees claim the beam is a haunted artifact. Twice when the beam was photographed, a woman in 18th century clothing appeared behind the beam in the photos. Keep in mind that the trials took place during the 17th century.
1: So why a woman in 18th century clothing is appearing in the pictures, we don't
0: know. <laughs> I know. It's like just one of those weird anomalies. Yeah,
1: things that make you go, hmm. Ghost Adventures visited the witch house in 2011. The building is the former home of Magistrate Jonathan Corwin and stood during the witch trials. The batteries on their equipment kept dying. The investigators believe they captured an EVP of Bridget Bishop because the voice said, Apple. Apple. They also picked up a child humming. Phantom footsteps are heard in the house by visitors and employees. Dark shadows are sometimes seen upstairs. Once when an employee was reading the names of those executed during the trials, a tin sconce flew off the wall. And Denise, this guy has the same name as the uh, the last name of the sheriff. I wonder if they were related
0: to each other in some way. Very possible because it wasn't a huge community. (laughs) The sheriff and the
1: judge are related to each other. Do we see a problem? (laughs)
0: <laughs> the night the lights went out in Georgia like that kind of a problem <laughs> something well and the one thing too that we got to go over and see is is they had built a memorial to the victims in Salem and yeah the one that the bum was sitting on <laughs> I know that but it, they were <laughs> like ben- the picture it was like a stone wall with with stone benches coming out and there were there were all the benches and each one had the engraving of the person and the date that they'd been executed during the the witch trial so I I mean, yes, it did become kind of a mecca for the homeless to take over and have a place to sleep. But it, it was really touching just to see those names. And you just like you said earlier in the podcast, you just wonder how, you know, how do we continue doing this kind of stuff? to other human beings.
1: That was the nice thing is that the way that memorial is set up is they were almost like rock bench seats and the names were over on the far right-hand side. So you could actually sit on it and the name could still be visible. So to me, it seemed like it would be kind of a contemplation garden.
0: Almost. Exactly. That's what it seemed to be to where you could sit and contemplate about what what had happened and about the people. And
1: Of course, it was right next to one of the cemeteries. I believe it was the old burying plot, or I can't remember exactly what that was called, but it was the old burying something. I think it was the oldest cemetery in Salem. It's, it's right next to it. But the victims of the Salem Witch Trials. They're not sure where they were buried. Some people believe that their family would come and take the bodies and bury them, but I don't know how many would do that. If they honestly believed that their loved one was a witch, they may not want that body. There's rumors that the bodies were just dumped off the side of Gallows Hill into some kind of a you know mass grave that's right there. Now, I didn't know where it was located when we were there, unfortunately. I believe it's near a Walmart or something. Is where Gallows Hill used to be, so it's not the hill's gone at this point, I guess.
0: Well, and I know one of one of the things that I used to believe about the Salem witch trials that that was not true is that in America we did not burn any witches at the stake. That was a That's European mm-hmm. thing, so that was new to me. Because I mean, the, the main thing with this podcast is not only talk about the hauntings, but kind of the education of this horrific. Mm-hmm. thing that happened in Salem. And so that was something that was a European thing they did. But here in America, the witches were either hung or pressed.
1: Yes, they were never burned at the stake. And pressing was not used as a form of execution. It was used as a way to get a confession. Right. But so it was a form of torture, basically. Otherwise, the only form of execution they did use was
0: hanging. Yeah, but still. just Pretty
1: much that's what they use through everything. You know, when we go through these old cities that are have hauntings, That's how they executed everybody.
0: Yeah, it's just a a lesson to all of us to beware before we decide to signal out a group. Salem just seems to have a spooky air about it. Is it just because of its notorious past? Or are the undead active in the city? Have we learned our lessons from the Salem witch trials? Or will humans continue to find scapegoats and accuse innocent people like we had during the Red Scare? And when America relocated and imprisoned Japanese Americans during World War II? Is Salem haunted? not only by its past, but by the spirits. That is for you to decide.
1: On our next episode, we're going to be joined by another special co-host, our listener named Stephen. Yay, Stephen! He lives in North Carolina, and we are going to share with you the Moses Cone Manor should be a lot of fun
0: yes it should and especially since that's on our definite shortened list of places to visit
1: yes right now we have two people that we are already planning on meeting up with when we go on our road trip in 2016
0: which will be the carolinas so if any of you other listeners are from the carolinas let us know
1: indeed and we got to go through georgia so we'll be up through georgia i think i think we're doing georgia south carolina north carolina and that's it right
0: that is correct we're not going all the way up to virginia Not this time, but that's on my list.
1: (laughs) We want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane.
0: And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Christopher. And this is Joe. From the Curioso Podcast. And here at the Curioso, when we want to listen to ghost tours... For the Theater of the Mind, we listen to
1: the History Goes Bump Podcast.